0: everybody. It's really an honor for myself and my family to be with you um, on this Easter weekend, and we look forward very much to getting to know you over the weekend. I trust that you're going to be part of the various services that are laid on by the church through the weekend. Uh, But thank you to everyone that has taken part this evening in laying a context for what I'm about to share. Matthew 26. It's very rare that a preacher would stand up And be given the honor of expounding a short piece of a scripture that has been laid out through the evening. And so this passage has been read and we now have the context all laid out for us to understand these verses 47 through 50. So if you have your Bible open, just continue with me as I read and explain and expand on a text here that has been um, given to us already. Verse 47. While he was speaking, Jesus was still in the agony of the previous verses that we read just a moment ago. Sorrow and trouble in his heart and soul. Verse 38 of this text speaks of how his soul was very sorrowful even to death. What is beautiful about the Bible is that we have other portions of Scripture that will give us insight into what Jesus was experiencing. And one of the places that scholars go is the Psalms. Psalm 42 gives us insight into the trouble and the sorrow that Jesus was experiencing on this occasion. Psalm 42, verse 5, so famous. Why are you cast down, O my soul, the psalmist says? And why are you in turmoil within me? A little bit later, we have some famous verses from this song as well. Deep calls to deep, at the roar of your waterfalls, all your breakers and your waves have gone over me, such is the turmoil and such is the sorrow and the pain that Jesus was going through. And while he was speaking here, we are aware of the fact that he has no rest. There's no rest for our Savior in the task that he came to perform on our behalf. And so the text unfolds in Matthew 26, Judas came, one of the twelve. Just an hour before he arrived on the scene, Jesus and his disciples were sitting around a table quite familiar to us this evening, from which we received the Lord's Supper, the Passover meal, and they were eating bread together. And according to the Acts, Acts 1 verse 16, he was the guide on this expedition. As those verses tell us, Judas became the guide to those who came to arrest Jesus. Now back to the Psalms. There's royal psalms in the Bible that would now anticipate Christ before he came. And if that is true of the anticipation of Jesus, then the enemies of the royal psalmist anticipate the enemies of the Messiah too. So stitching your Bible together this evening, we can read the Psalms with open eyes to understand that even Judas was predicted in terms of the role that he would perform on this evening. Psalm 109, verse 8. May the days be few. May another take his office. Speaking of the days of Judas. May his days be few. May another take his office. Psalm 41, verse 9. Even my close friend in whom I trusted, who ate my bread, has lifted his heel against me. It's so sad to consider Judas at Easter, and we do every year, to consider that he was one of the 12 given the same privilege the same teaching witnessing the miracles of Jesus firsthand hearing the gospel oh how sinful our human heart is oh how our sinful heart is so very hard amen the verse in the verse in Matthew 26 continues this way after Jesus arrived one of the 12 He came with a great crowd. Jesus calls these particular individuals sinners. We read that just a moment ago in verse 45. Betrayed into the hands of sinners. And this now again is a psalm fulfilled. Psalm chapter 3 verse 1. And these three psalms, Psalm 1, 2, and 3, pull together very tightly. Speaking of the Messiah, we call the Messianic for that reason. And here the first verse of chapter 3 in our ancient hymn book reads like this. O Lord, how many are my foes, how this crowd came in number. Many are rising against me. And they came with weapons. They came with swords and they came with clubs. When people come with those kinds of weapons, they're not coming friendly. They're coming to pick a fight. They're coming ready for war. And so this was a rabble. Many have called this group, this crowd, a mob. And they came with force. Now listen to these statements. If it was force that they brought with the clubs and the swords, then they surely brought too little force to capture the commander of the armies of heaven. Would you agree? But at the same time, they brought too much force to capture the yielded commander of the armies of heaven. So they came with their swords and their clubs, and they came from a particular place, from the chief priest's, And the elders of the people. Just reading line by line through the narrative given to us in Matthew 26. Oh, the chief priests and the elders of the people were the famous Sanhedrin. Roman law didn't care. Rome didn't care of what was going on. This was the religious government of the day. I would make application immediately to say active in church, for sure. Very religious yet referred to here as the enemies of God. John 18, verse 35, Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? Verse 48 in Matthew 26 continues like this Now the betrayer had given them a sign, saying, The one I will kiss is the man seize him. The title for today's little devotion Kiss. The one I will kiss is the man sees him. You see, this action was premeditated. This action was arranged and the kiss was to be given, we would think, on the cheek as a symbol of allegiance, as a gesture of friendship. And again, the Psalms come to mind. Psalm chapter 2. Kiss the son, lest he be angry, and you perish in the way, for his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in him back to Matthew 26 and he came up to Jesus at once and said greetings Rabbi and he kissed him see there's no hesitation in his actions there's a greeting of familiarity teacher again all this religious jargon religious language outwardly there's loyalty in the kiss and friendship in the kiss intimacy in the kiss but that's all just outward gesture In the last verse I'm going to read tonight, Jesus said to him, verse 50, Matthew 26, Friend, do what you came to do. Interesting, in the original language, this word friend can be translated comrade or it can be translated companion. Do what you came to do. Do what's on your mind at present in the Greek language here. Do your duty. Do your errand. What Jesus is doing on this occasion is he's exposing Judas' presence And he shows that he doesn't believe what he's doing to be wholehearted. Bruce, a scholar, said this. He said, Jesus does not believe his paraded affection. His paraded affection. Kisses and greetings. Just the parade. Just the facade. Just outward. And what Jesus was doing in the language of this verse 50 is saying to Judas, Explain yourself. Go ahead and do what you came to do. Something we're all going to have to do one day before the Lord. Explain yourself. If a friend, then why the swords, Judas? What have I done to harm you? And if an enemy, then why on earth are you kissing me? Good questions. Then, the last phrase of the text. We will continue after this, but for what I'm going to explain tonight. They came up, laid hands on Jesus, and they seized him. I'd like to make four little thoughts. or we'll give you four little thoughts for this evening to just take with you as we prepare for tomorrow. And we obviously prepare tomorrow to lead into Sunday. The first one is notice the meekness of Jesus. Cling to the meekness of Jesus, verse 50. When provoked in a disgusting way, there's no bad-mouthing, there's no chewing out, there's no retaliation. Think about this for a moment, because there were occasions when Jesus gave a bit of a tongue-lashing When Peter suggested that Jesus avoid the cross in the task that he came to perform of our redemption, when Jesus made those comments, what did Jesus say? He rebuked him, calling him Satan. But on this occasion, when Judas Judas acted to further Jesus' suffering, notice how he calls him friend. Such is the meekness of Jesus to absorb wrongdoing in order to accomplish his purpose. And may I just add, that purpose is something we all benefit from, both now and in, in eternity as well. The meekness of Jesus. May that sink into our hearts this evening as our appreciation and our value of Christ grows this Easter. Number two, the outward versus inward affection that we see in this narrative. Outward versus inward affection. Outward kisses and outward greetings of honor, while in the heart there is inward betrayal. Going on. All that Judas was doing was undermining the interests of the kingdom. This was, like Bruce said, a paraded affection. We've all met this evening around the Lord's Supper and we've examined ourselves, I'm hoping, as the scriptures have called of us, to examine our hearts before we take of the table. We must, church family, we must repent. Of any fake outward displays of affection to our Lord. And Easter is a good time for that. where we bring our outward displays of affection to the Lord. It's something we do every year. It becomes very familiar. We must repent of those fake things. The Lord is the one who knows our heart. If your affections are not sincere for Jesus this year. Stop with the friendly gestures. Stop with the friendly greeting and all the kisses of Jesus. For the Lord is after your heart. Inward affection for him. A third little thought that I have for tonight. Notice God's sovereignty over human history, God's sovereignty over human history. These men step forward and they seize Jesus to arrest him. But behind the scenes, as people who understand our Bibles, we know all this to be part of the plan of God, don't we? This would never ever have happened if it was not God's plan. And it would never have happened if it was not the will of Jesus to lay down his life and give up his life willingly for us. In Acts chapter 2 verse 23 is the verse that scholars run to to explain this doctrine. Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. While men seized Jesus to arrest him, God's plan was beginning to flourish. Another verse we could run to is Psalm 105, where God's sovereign protection over the patriarchs and, of course, over the prophets is seen. He allowed no one to oppress them. He rebuked kings on their account, saying, touch not my anointed ones. Do my prophets no harm. I mean, here's God saying, you may be the mightiest, the most powerful of kings, but you will not touch my anointed ones. This would never have happened. This would never have happened if it was not the plan of God and the will of Jesus to lay down his life willingly for us. One last thought. He became sin. He became sin. Oh, we appreciate the meekness of God, specifically seen in Jesus. We appreciate the, the call to inward affection expressed over this Easter weekend. We notice with comfort, because our world is really broken, isn't it? Falling apart. We notice with comfort God's sovereign hand in some of the, the gravest of historic events, the most grave of historic events we have. And lastly, he became sin. Jesus became prisoner willingly. He became wrongdoer. He became lawbreaker in our place. You know why? So that we might go free. Christ became sin for us. Our worship continues this evening as we sing. This is the power of the cross. As we sing this particular idea, Christ became sin for us. He took the blame. He bore the wrath. We stand forgiven at the cross. Shall we stand as we continue to worship? Christ became sin for us.